Welcome back to the Innovation Network. I'm Joey Gartner here, the director of the ABA Center for Innovation and one of the lead editors for our show here, the Innovation Network. And I want to talk to you about what we're going to do with the second half of our season. Anyone who knows our work here at the center knows that we believe strongly in iterate, iterate, iterate. Look at the data, figure out what our listeners are most into, and provide you content along those lines. We've taken our summer to reevaluate the Innovation Network a little bit, help us steer the second half of the season, and we are so excited to bring you content that we know you're going to love. Interviews with Maya Markovich, interviews with Jack Newton, interviews with Ed Walter, and interviews with Aaron Levine, just to name a few. We're going to talk about some of the most pressing issues, how bar associations can drive change with Janet Welsh and John Stewart. We know you're going to love the second half of our season, and we appreciate you being patient as we've evaluated our content over the last two months. We're going to start off the closing half of our year by finishing up our conversation with David Slayton and Scott Schlegel. And we're going to talk about how judges can build courtrooms designed for the future that meet consumers where they are using tech tools that already exist. All right, Patrick, let's get back to the show. Welcome to the ABA Center for Innovation's Innovation Network podcast a podcast dedicated to finding and highlighting the opportunities of the future of law and bringing them into your legal practice today. We will explore new partnerships, unforeseen successes, and reveal the blueprints that are already being used to develop the future of legal. Along this journey, our guests will challenge you to let go of the status quo and dare to imagine a legal economy where creativity and collaboration are the fuel and your new ability to serve every person with a legal need is your financial reward. And now, here are your hosts for the Innovation Network podcast, Joey Gartner and Patrick Pallas. And Judge Segal, a couple of your superpowers that, that, that I think you've used, and I'm going to say two, and I know there's more, uh, but the two obvious ones for me are both looking for partnerships to achieve more than any single judge can achieve by themselves and finding straight from the box tools, things that are, are ready to go and, and, and applying them. I have a very bad habit of calling CEOs and saying, I like what you have. Can you tweak it just a little bit for me? Thankfully, they've always said yes. So I'm a trial court judge with general jurisdiction. So I handle civil, criminal, and domestic, and I'm a specialty court judge. So when the pandemic hit, we had probably about 300 specialty court participants who are the highest risk participants in any probation program uh, within a community. And clearly you couldn't touch all those people physically like you used to. You couldn't bring them into court. People were just trying to figure out how to use Zoom. So it wasn't like you could just get everybody on a, a Zoom hearing right away. And so Tom was able to build a a pretty simple, basic chatbot. Well, simple to me, probably difficult on the technical side, um, but it really just helped us triage. You know, are you okay? Was a simple question that we sent out by SMS to all of our participants. If they said yes, the chatbot responded, "Great, good to hear." If it said no, well, then that message was sent directly to a Slack channel that had all of our partners and agencies on the same channel. And they were able to triage and reach out to that individual to make sure that they were okay and that they got the services they needed before there was a new victim, before there was a new crime. So that was very helpful. And on the on the document side, again, you know, we're we're pen and paper, horse and buggy in most courtrooms and courthouses around the country. And so these plea forms that we had were all in the courtroom, you know. So we had to start, you know, getting these forms up. And look, if a, a PDF fillable is great, and I say if you can do it, just start there, you know, just start. 
but start taking all those forms and putting them online so that you can have these forms. So uh, the, the documents that we had built out enabled the lawyer to visit with his or her client while that client was incarcerated. We could have a plea form filled out online, push submit. That submit went to a Slack channel. We all had it at the same time. I take the plea guilty and have the paperwork brought over to the inmate for signature later that day. So simple off-the-shelf technologies. I mean, if if you gave me $500 a year, I could change any courtroom in the country within two hours. Can I, I just want to add here something I think that's really important that Judge Slagle is modeling that a number of other judges did too, but I think it's really important. In the past, when we've looked at court innovation, we think of these giant multi-year, multi-million dollar projects that are necessary to spend all this time and money and get it perfect. And I think what we've seen just in the last couple of years is you can take really simple, easy, off the shelf, quick things and make huge improvements. So an online calendar, like go to Google Calendar and if you're a court or you're a judge or whatever and set up, I mean, that's free and really easy, uh, you know, whatever other type of calendaring system you want and just use it. And all of a sudden that revolutionizes the way that we do things. It does not have to be, yes, of course, there's still room for the complicated technology. I don't want to say that, but it doesn't always have to be that. It could just be some simple little thing that could make a really big difference. And I think sometimes we got to rethink those things. I was saying at the beginning of the pandemic to, to my colleagues, when I was the state court administrator in Texas, I was using the Nike uh, motto, just do it. Like, just do it. We're so risk averse in the judiciary that, you know, I mean, Chief Justice Robertson his end of year address in 2014 said that the judiciary is late to the harvest of ingenuity. I'm not very proud of that. I don't think that's a good thing. And so, you know, why don't we, instead of always looking backwards and being really slow, like let's figure out a way to embrace the things we can embrace. Let's use our resources where we can, you know, if we're gonna spend that money and time on it, let's do it. But otherwise quit overthinking it. Let's just make the changes that we made. We might not get it exactly right. It's not going to affect someone's due process rights if we use a Google calendar versus a paper calendar. So let's just do some stuff that would really make a real difference and make huge impacts on people's lives. I would add to that is understand your workflow, then pick your tech stack. If you understand your workflow, the next time you walk down the road and go to any store, just start looking at the technology that they need, that they use and go, oh, how can I apply that in the justice system? And I guarantee you're going to come up with two new ideas just by going around your everyday life and saying, if I can schedule a dental appointment online with text and email reminders and I never miss because they text me relentlessly, why can't I do that in the criminal justice system so we can cut down failures to appear? I mean, it's that simple of a concept. $200 for a website, 150 bucks for an online calendar, and you're in. We have a study from the National Center for State Courts that we just released that shows the increased workload of judges because, of, because they're using remote proceedings. And one of the main reasons why is because more people show up. That's a great thing. You know, everybody's like, wow, it's more work. It's more work on judges to do remote hearings. I'm like, yes, because more people are showing up. That's a really positive thing. We know for years and decades, we've had studies that have shown, as Judge Slagle was saying, a simple text reminder is the most effective way to make sure a criminal defendant shows up to court. That's pretty simple, pretty cheap. And guess what? It would save a ton of money to the system because you don't have sheriffs out having to go arrest people. You don't have jails having to house them. And oh, by the way, a pretty tremendous benefit to the litigants on the other side who aren't being arrested and thrown in jail, losing jobs, losing homes, losing cars, whatever else. It's those little bitty things that can make a huge difference in the whole system. Well, you put together a cool kind of tech stack and you've been referring to it. And, you know, and courts generally don't have big budgets, or at least they don't have big tech budgets available. And yet you've managed to put together this entire system, not just for 
for your court, but sports across uh, the state. And I'm wondering maybe if you could just, just maybe hit a couple of those things in your tech stack that are readily available, off the shelf, inexpensive, maybe even free that other courts might use and other judges that are listening to this podcast. Yeah. So if anybody wants to go online, it's onlinejudge.us. Just go to my bio page and my tech stack is there. Um, so we just mentioned Squarespace. You can use Squarespace or Wix to build a website. You can use Calendly or Acuity to embed a calendar that has built-in text and email reminders. That's about 150 bucks for the calendar, about $200 for the website. Um, you know, you could start getting fancy. You know, I have Slack um, and we have eight different agencies on Slack. You're going to start spending a little bit money if you start using Slack and Teams. But a lot of people have Office 365 already purchased. So you already have Teams. So that's a collaborative tool that you have. Edpuzzle and Powtoon to build short videos so that people can kind of figure out the next steps in the process for them. We use uh, Video Ask so that we can do some, some pretty cool curfew checks for $450 a year. We can actually do curfew checks. So they're pretty interesting. And the the biggest fun one that I have going, not to mention my attempt to get a hologram in my courtroom. I always said, don't stop at Zoom. Don't stop at Zoom. So Zoom's great, but again, there's another product out there that might be a better fit. So we're using one of those video conferencing platforms that were built for actual physical conferences during the pandemic so that you're literally in my courtroom dragging yourself around my courtroom so you can go meet with other attorneys while court is going on and not interrupting court, like recreating the physical space virtually. What this is achieving now that we've had, you know, at least two solid years of truly jumping into this innovation and, and, and watching it work. And I'm wondering where you've seen the greatest successes. And in one of these things, right, we talked about consumers, David, that we're serving consumers. How is consumer satisfaction? How are you guys getting your ratings and your views? And this is this is for both of you, both in your individual courthouse court judge and, and you, David, uh, across uh, the country. Where are you seeing your successes? You know, we've been doing some polling. I was just on a webinar a few minutes ago where Arizona did some public opinion polling where uh, I think it was 68% of the, of the public said, please do not make me come back to a courthouse to take care of my courthouse business. Um, the National Center for State Courts did a state, a national public opinion poll, similar findings. It doesn't, it doesn't apply to every case top. I don't want to try to over promise what, what the public's asking for here, but it's pretty clear that the public, that's how they want to do business. Um, generally, they don't want to come down to the courthouse for a, a five minute status conference and have to deal with all the traffic and all the other things that come along with that. So I think I think the public is demanding this. I don't think we have a whole lot of choice but to do that. And so, I mean, and, and I think when, you know, when we see even post-hearing reviews, so we've got some survey work that's been done in child welfare, for instance, and juvenile justice and a few other areas and asking people, how did you feel about, did you feel like you had any worse justice because of that? And the answer is clearly no, we thought it was better. Jurors We've got a lot of judges out there who are now picking juries remotely. They're not doing jury trials remotely. They're picking juries remotely. Jurors are appearing in much higher numbers and they're much more satisfied. I think what we're seeing overall across the board is much more satisfaction among people who are able to really do business in the way they want to do it. Judge Schlegel, what is that doing to the public trust? Yeah, I think it's a, a, a big part of that, as you just mentioned, David, is perception. And when you're utilizing this technology, you're telling people, you care by caring about their time. And 
people don't like what I decide. Half the people don't like my decision, right? So 50 are going to like it, 50 are not going to like. But if they know that you care, they know that you're prepared, they know that you actually were concerned about them and what they had to do, it makes the people perceive justice a little bit differently. And I think that's very important when you show people that you care about them and their time. It does build the confidence in our system. You know, beyond the role that uh, individual judges play in innovation, what role do you see for, you know, regulatory changes in helping bridge this access to justice gap? You know, that that really is a, it's multi-layered and it's jurisdictional and statewide. You know, some courts are unified, some are non-unified, and some have different procedures to, to get these types of changes through. You know, I had to testify at a Senate committee hearing two days ago at our state capitol trying to codify some of these things that we've been doing for the test past two years, because obviously we're the civil law tradition and everything is written in our civil code and our civil code of civil procedure. So, you know, whereas another state, their Supreme Court might be able to just pass a rule and administratively handle how things go on in the courtroom. So I think it's very, uh, it's a very big question, but I think if we all have the common themes, you can kind of build out that roadmap of how to get there and how to get there incrementally and, you know, maybe not take such big bites all the time because it just depends upon your jurisdiction and the resources that you all have and and how your system is built. You know, I'll just add to that, that I, I think this is where it's really important for lawyers and judges and legal tech and technology vendors to all come together because we need everybody pulling in the same direction here. We all have the same goal in mind, which is we want to increase access to justice. And there's so much that can be done. And we've all got to be, we've all got to be pulling the same direction here. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to do that, especially now because we've seen what it can do. So yeah, there's some, probably some barriers to some of that. How do we try to pull down those barriers to allow us to really do what our ultimate goal is, which is to increase access to justice? So we're about out of time, but I do want to give you like one last question here to finish. And, and it's, it's, it's your wish list, right? What is it that you'd like to see your Supreme Courts do or your legislators legislature do or the practitioners come before you? This is your wish list a minute. What do we need to do uh, to, move this, to move this forward uh, for 2023? I just want people to not go back to the old days. What I see and what I feel is, yeah, that was a great experiment. Yeah, that was great. But people never really got comfortable. Not all people, obviously, a number of folks did, but a lot of people never really got comfortable with it. You know, never, but everybody always kind of had the perception of, well, the pandemic will end soon. So I don't need to make sure that I've upgraded my bandwidth, upgraded my hardware, updated my software, understood. Zoom has a share screen and a whiteboard. Come on, you know, let's present the evidence properly at hearings. So uh, from the from the bar perspective or, you know, from a practitioner perspective, just continue to harp on the education piece and continue to bring in the speakers to help people continue to hone their skills so that they can be more comfortable so that we can move past Zoom. From the Supreme Court level, um, you know, just trying to do everything that they can to support these efforts. You know, our Supreme Court uh, created the Louisiana Supreme Court Technology Commission, and we have a number of judges on that commission that are constantly looking at these things and saying, how can we continue the, to move it forward? Just last year, we passed legislation that allowed e-service for hearings now, which is a big, huge deal. So our, our bar is now learning what e-service looks like and what delivered receipt versus read receipt. So just really kind of continue to deep dive and say, 
It's going to happen. Let's keep moving forward. Let's not drag our feet. Let's just jump in the pool. And don't be afraid to fail. It's okay. Fail, iterate, fail, iterate. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I, I will just say ditto that. Um, the only other thing I would add to that is, you know, uh, on, the, on the, that don't be afraid to fail is also recognize that the system we had before was not perfect and it was not created in two years. Um, so a lot of people keep saying, well, what do you do about the, the witness that's, uh, you know, being coached? I'm like, well, what did you do about the witness that was being coached before? Or what if someone records the, the Zoom stream? Well, what did you do if someone was, being, was recording the, the hearing before? So we, we've dealt with these issues. None of them are new. We're not dealing with anything now new that we didn't deal with before, but you can't judge the system we have now based upon some perfect world that never existed. And let's work through these issues. Yes, we ought to address them all, uh, just like we addressed them in the physical space and realize that we had centuries of opportunity to try to correct the issues that were addressed, we were addressing before. We're not going to have all of them fixed in two years. We're going to have problems. We're going to have issues that are going to come up. Most of them will not be that significant, as, as one of our recent judges said in the panel I was speaking on. Every single trial, every single hearing, something goes wrong. Judges are good at dealing with that, and they will continue to be good at dealing with it even in a virtual world. So we've just got to be patient with ourselves and realize that everything's not going to be perfect right now. Judge Schlegel, for people who want to continue on this conversation, where do they find you? Onlinejudge.us, onlinejudge.us. Everything uh, that you want is there, and you can send me a message, and it'll go to one of my Slack channels, and my entire staff will see it right away. David Slayton? They can find me on Twitter at David Slayton TX. Well, thank you both so much for joining us here on the Innovation Network today. As always, you can follow the Center for Innovation at ABA Innovation on Twitter. And don't forget to share this episode out on social media using the hashtag ABACIN. The Innovation Network is a production from the American Bar Association, the Center for Innovation. Opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the ABA. Editing for the Innovation Network is performed by Ben Woodson and Joey Gartner. 